Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan is going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Let's start off with a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to the show. All right, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Uh, as always, if you could do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, uh, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, we got some fan questions today, which, again, also really appreciated. Uh, always reach out to us if you got stuff you want to ask Larry. You know, we love to get fan perspective during the show, so uh, happy to take those. Uh, sort of a short turnaround here since the last time we recorded, but figured, you know, with Russ's historic night, it was a uh, good timing. In the two two games that have happened since our last show, the Wizards beat the Pacers by one and then lost last night to the Hawks, 125 to 124. Uh, we'll get to the Russ stuff in a minute. Larry, I just want to get your take on sort of the closing of that game last night. Russell Westbrook gets the ball with seven seconds left, down one. He's going one on three, and Scott Brooks is yelling at him to, to keep pushing it. You know, for you, do you prefer that they push it like that, even at maybe a disadvantage or not having numbers? Or would you have liked to see them, you know, call a timeout and, and set up a play, even if it meant sort of doing that against the set defense? What's the right call there? You know what? In, in hindsight, you can always go back and, and make an adjustment to the call. But I think it's a totally a feel uh, in the moment sort of situation, because I think that it, it's going to vary uh, from game to game or those situations are going to be different every time. Um, and you have to be aware of. If you if you get you you know you need a steal you know uh, obviously you, you're down one so you have to be aware in the timeout on you know if we get a steal if they miss a shot if they score okay so there's a th- three things that can happen what are we going to do and understanding if we get a steal you have to understand if your momentum is taking you towards your basket then you roll with it. If they take a shot and they miss a shot and there's a long rebound and the momentum is going towards your basket, you probably keep going. Anything that's stagnant, that's right around the basket or in the paint, probably want to call a timeout because their first reaction is obviously they know that they're down one, so they're going to bust their butt to get back. There's only one possession left and nobody's just going to hang around and watch the play happen. So they're probably going to get back if there's a stagnant play or anything close to the basket. And that play was kind of in between. Mm-hmm. It was a bang, bang play. And I don't fault Russ for going. And I, I don't necessarily fault coach for saying, push the basketball. It's completely a feel. And, um, you know, just really, you know, having, you know, just understanding what Russ can do, you know, just taking that chance. 
I kind of would have liked a combo approach there. Maybe like you push it and see if you can get a lane and then, you know, seven seconds left. Russ is getting to the other three point line in another two seconds, you know, is four or five seconds enough time to say, Hey, we, we didn't have a look there. Russ would have had to take a three. Can we call a timeout there and try to set something up or does that restrict you too much? No, I don't think that restricts you. I think that these are things that had, I mean, that's why these guys get paid a bunch of money, right? I mean, the players and the coaches to make those decisions completely on the fly. And I think what would have helped the team out and the situation out if Russ had changed direction yeah. and brought the ball somewhat to the middle, mm -hmm. then the Hawks players would have had to figure out if they needed to drop back further to guard the guys that were running the lane or if they needed to stop Russ. And I think that could have given him time to make a play, you only needed one point to tie the game and obviously two to win it. You know, my thing is I'm I'm not gonna take a three at that point. I'm I'm on the drive, but if I'm gonna take a bad shot, it's gonna be a bad shot with me running somebody over, you know, trying to, to at least get to the free throw line, put the onus on the referees, but you're only down one. So in, in the big scheme of things, taking a three was the bad shot to take, but shit happens. Yeah, I totally agree. I felt like they looked a little flat for most of the game last night. I don't know if that's not having Brad or whatever. Uh, they kept kind of catching up and then letting Atlanta nudge ahead a little bit. So I'm actually happy overall that they fought throughout that game. He got a little unlucky at the end. He got a reasonably clean look. Like, it's not the worst shot I've ever seen to win the game. Like you said, you'd rather not have a 30% three-point shooter take a three when you're only down one. Uh would have much preferred, like you said, him push it to the hoop, you know, make the referee have to, to call a foul or swallow the whistle. Then definitely not going to call a charge on him in that situation. I, I wouldn't think no one who Russ is. So uh, just a little unlucky, I think, overall. Um, but just staying on Russ for a minute, he set the record for all time triple doubles in the NBA with 182 last year or last night. It's um, it's a 47 year old record, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, Larry, I just want to get your sort of overall thoughts on on that as an accomplishment. Well, I, I love whether it's a team that I root for or as the underdog or I love to see history made. And that's one of the things, no matter if I'm watching a boxing match and I really want the other guy to. I always like to see history because when you have kids and they have grandkids, you can always say that you, you know, you witnessed, you know, something special, something that's in the history book. So, you know, just tuning in and watching him, you know, obviously go for the, the record and the amount of energy that he puts out every night, just that accomplishment of a record that no one thought that it could ever be touched. I mean, even you could group five, 10 guys together and still wouldn't get to that 181. I mean, I played a bunch of years and probably had one or two or maybe three, you know, triple doubles. I mean, got close a bunch of times, but that is that is hard to do. And for that guy to not only break the record, but also average a triple-double four out of the last five years with everything that he's dealt with, you know, changing teams, uh, playing as hard as he does, fighting through injuries, you know, the critics, you know, on his back, you know, for the, the, the his style of play. I think it all goes into that accomplishment because he stayed true to himself. He stayed true to playing as hard as he can. He stayed true to playing all facets of the game, passing the ball, rebounding the ball. You know, even if your big man gives you three or four rebounds, you still have to get six or seven. And he's getting, you know, 15 and 17 rebounds a game. 
So he's doing it. He was doing his thing. And I'm, I'm happy for him, uh, happy for his family to get a chance to to see their last name in, in the history books. Uh, every time that graphic goes up now, uh, his name will be there, you know, right above Big O, who we all revere as one of the best to do it. So, you know, shout out to Russ, man, for accomplishing that goal. It's definitely one. You never say never because of all the possessions and things that guys have now, but that's one that's going to be very, very tough to uh, to reach because that motor that he has, it's, it is hard to find. That was literally going to be my next question because I saw a lot of tweets last night that were like, no one will ever break this record. It'll stand forever. I'm like, eh, if Twitter was around 50 years ago, people probably thought that about Oscar too. Uh, you know, some of the Will Chamberlain stats and things like that, you know, 50 rebound games. Like, I don't see those being broken. Uh, but but this one, it, it's going to be real tough for, like you said, somebody to have the long, you know, longevity to, to be able to match that. Yeah, and it's the stuff that goes along with it. It's the rebounding as well, but also the assist. Yeah. I mean, guys on, I mean, guys are shooting the ball better now, so you, it gives you a better chance, you know, to, to get those assists. And I think they're a little bit lax sometimes on what they call an assist these days as well. Yeah. But, man, it, it's, a, it's a great accomplishment that I, again, like I, I never want to say never, but man, it's it's sitting up there in bright lights now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And, and at the very least, it's going to be a while because it would just take you that, you know, take you a decade to accrue that. So even if another, uh, you know, freak of nature comes along in the next couple of years, uh, we, we've got some time here, I think. Yep. Uh, the, the other thing I thought is pretty crazy that those 182 triple doubles are more than 26 NBA franchises. Uh, and and his 36 triple doubles he's had with the Wizards again just in one season is like triple the next highest uh, in, in franchise history. But you hear a lot of stuff like like I've said on the show like I, Russell's style of play is not the most aesthetically pleasing to me. I appreciate the effort. I appreciate what he does. But you know some of the turnovers and stuff like it, it drives me a little crazy. But I, I appreciate what he is overall as a player. And and one of the criticisms you hear I guess is that he's stat padding or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to wins, but his teams are 136 and 45 when he gets a triple double. So that's a 75% win percentage. The wizards themselves are 21 and 14 when he gets a triple double, but they're 13 and three over their last 16 games. When he gets a triple double, it seems like he's really settled in and I just, I don't know how you can see numbers like that and be like, oh, those are meaningless stats. Like this is not a good stats, bad team guy in any way. Now he, he just struggles with the, you know, the issue of, of being efficient, you know, from shooting the basketball. Right. I mean, but, you know, that's one of the guys, man, playing against, and obviously, you know, his first few years in the league, like you have to think about playing against that guy. And you know, because how hard he goes, he, he, he don't take plays off. I mean, he's a mat. I mean, when, when he goes into other people's gyms, they're looking for that guy. Mm-hmm. And when people come to his gym, they don't want to see that guy. And there's not many guys in the league that have that sort of, you know, vibe, you know, in the basketball space. Like if guys won't admit it, I mean, then they're just holding something back. But playing against that guy, you know, multiple times a season or just throughout throughout your career, it's a tough matchup. Not because he's seven foot, not because he's, you know, quick as light, because he he won't stop. 
And those sort of players, when you talk about an 82 game season of, you know, just every game he's coming nonstop, even in a game where you want to rest as an opponent, he won't let you rest. And then even when you're on his team as a teammate and you may want to take a rest, he won't let you rest. I mean, he's one of those guys, man. And, um, you know, I just think just the only thing that, that sticks him is his ability to be efficient. And he outweighs that by getting his team, his teammates involved. And I think they love him for that. The Russell Westbrook fans specifically, there's a lot of, hey, where are all the haters right now? It's like, well, there haven't been haters for, for months, right? I mean, like, as a Wizards fan, it's, it's really hard to watch what this guy's doing and watch what the team's done over the last two months and, and find anything other than like nitpicks at this point. Like you can't say that it's not been, um, you know, this is not trended in, in absolutely the right direction over the last month. Uh, Larry, I think when they first made the trade, we looked up some box scores or whatever, and, and you had covered him a couple of times his rookie year or whatever. I'm not expecting you to say you saw this coming, but, could you tell like right away, hey, this guy is going to be special and, and, you know, the motor plus that athleticism is going to lead to like, you know, a legitimate NBA player of, of kind of you know, top caliber guy, I guess. Well, we, we knew he was an athlete and that's what we, you know, that's what the scouting report was, right? If you don't box him out, he's going to crash the boards. He's going to get every rebound. He's not going to quit. He's an athlete. He has a motor. And that was his scouting report. It wasn't necessarily all of the skill things that he does now with, you know, he does a really good job now of creating angles to get the assist, to get guys easy shots. And he wasn't doing that, you know, back then. He was just really playing as hard as he could. And those are all the guys that you say, if they figure it out, you know, they have a chance. And being involved in those guys coming to the team with KD and James and, you know, being around, you know, that sort of energy that that they created as far as being a young and up-and-coming team, I think all of those guys really did a heck of a job of, learning themselves and, and understanding how they would be successful in the league. And they've all been, been pretty great at, at what they do. So yeah, early on, I mean, you could tell this guy figures it out. I mean, he'll, he'll have a chance. Like you don't think of, you know, averaging a triple double. There's no way in hell you, th- you think about a guy averaging a triple double, but as far as a, a guard rebounding the basketball at a high clip. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely pretty cool to, to be there start to finish. The Wizards are, are going to be without Brad at the very least for their next game uh, against Atlanta on Wednesday night due to this hamstring injury. I'm beginning to wonder if we see him at all the rest of these regular season games. Uh, that that That's going to be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. They, they did say he'll be sort of a game time evaluation on Friday. Uh, the Wizards are one and nine without Brad this season, but we've talked multiple times about how hard it is to beat the same NBA team and, you know, either consecutive nights or consecutive games. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you expect to see in sort of this follow-up matchup with Atlanta? Uh, I, I think both teams, you know, kind of pl- play well. I mean, I think they play well through stretches. I think Ad- Atlanta was crazy efficient uh, on the offensive end with using the free throw line to, you know, to score points. I think Trey Young was, was, very, very good. And I think he's been trending in that direction since, um, you know, really since 2021. I think he's done a great job of, of you know, playing basketball and trying to figure it out on how those guys will win. So I, I see a little bit of the same. I know those guys will have, you know, more energy. They'll feel, well, 
the Wizards will have more energy. They'll feel like, you know, they let one slip away. They had a chance to win the basketball game. Uh, they made some some defensive uh, lapses down the stretch with with too many fouls, knowing that, you know, Atlanta's going to go to the free throw line and make free throws. So I think that that's an adjustment that's try to play without fouling. Uh, but again, you know, the team that wins is in stake to, you know, to lose the next game. So the Wizards have a better shot to come back with more energy and, you know, kind of hit those guys in the mouth, you know, after them winning and maybe they take a little bit of a relaxed approach. Maybe not. It's getting to the end of the season, but, you know, just seeing that opponent the next night, it sometimes makes you a little bit lax because you just, you just saw them and just won. So good energy for the wizards. I think that they feel like they let one get away. Uh, So the 182 is on the board. I think he'll keep building on that. So that's not something that's going to go away. The energy is not going to go away because that record is not at stake anymore. Um, I think that, you know, those guys will come out and play hard and, and get the win. It might actually free Russ up a little bit too. You don't have that hanging over your head or, or having to to think about it at all. You could just kind of go play and whatever happens, happens. Not not saying that that was weighing him down, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it'll, it'll hurt him that that's not something he's chasing anymore. Just staying on the Hawks for one second. Atlanta's 24 and 11 under Nate McMillan. Uh, just one, have you spent any time around Nate? And if so, what makes him such a good coach? And just what is it about certain things with coaches that just sort of click with a team or resonate with a team that that when they get, you know, get that job, teams just sort of take off? Well, I think it's direction. I think it's a coach that brings, you know, some calmness, a, you know, a roadmap to how we're going to get from this point, you know, to the end game. And that's obviously winning a championship for every team that's in the NBA. It's giving us ourselves the best, the best chance to win a championship. And I think Nate does a good job of that because from everything that I've heard, uh, obviously been being around in the league a long time is, is he has a focus that's, that's defense related and he's holding guys accountable for defense. But I also see a difference in Atlanta on the offensive end is they're still playing, you know, a, a really good pace game, but they're not as quote unquote flashy as, as mm-hmm. they were, you know, a couple of years ago, I think Trey, you know, got into, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the hype, a lot of the, you know, playing from 35 and, and, and back and, you know, just getting into his abilities and his individual abilities in a way that's going to show up in on all the highlights. And I think now that team has really settled down to play team basketball. I'm not saying he wasn't playing team basketball, but they're really efficient. They get John around the basket. They get Clint, you know, rolling to the basket. Uh, Trey is is getting to the free throw line, you know, 8, 10, 12 times. Uh, the team shoots 80-something percent from the free throw line. So I think that they have more of a direct message on how they're going to go out and win games as opposed to just going out and playing the games and using their talent to win. Um, so that's, that's really what I see. That was one of the first Hawks games I, I'd watched in, I don't know, probably two months. And and the last one I had seen, Trey took a lot of deep threes and, and just what you're talking about. And last night it was like, I'm going to get to the basket. You will stay in front of me or you will bump me or I'll bump you and I'll probably still get the foul call. So uh, I, I think you, you totally nailed that there. Just sort of pivoting back to, to Westbrook here for a minute. It's kind of a Westbrook heavy show. Uh, the Wizards obviously beat the Pacers 133-132, but in their 3-0 sweep of the Pacers this year, Westbrook averaged 27, 27 points, 20 assists, and 18 rebounds. He shot 50% from three against them, 53% from the field, and 83% from the free throw line. 
what is it about certain players that they just light up certain teams? Like, is it a matchup thing? Is it Indiana scouting report is we're going to let Russ get his? Is it a little bit of both, like kind of coincidence? Like walk me through why certain players just seem to love to see certain teams. Man, it's a lot of different reasons. Uh, You know, yeah, scouting report goes into it. Uh, The coaching style uh, goes into it. Uh, Any sort of dislike for the organization goes into it. Any sort of dislike for a player or two, you know, goes into it. Uh, All all of that factors into how you go out and, and, and attack your job every night. Because, again, we're talking about the best 400 players, you know, in the world. But it's something that you have to you know, you have to find, you know, every night to go out and compete. And sometimes it just it just clicks with an organization or it clicks with the team and you get comfortable seeing that color jersey. You get comfortable in that city. Um, and it's, you know, it's the professional life. It's finding something that you're comfortable with and attacking it, you know, to the fullest. And, you know, there's teams that are out there that play this sort of defense or there's teams that are out there, like you said, that'll say, hey, let this player get get his and we'll stop everybody else but you'll see that player over and over and over and over again so you're going to put up those type those type of numbers so yeah it's just about being comfortable in the situation I mean he may like Indiana more than you know some of these other cities but yeah you find things that are comfortable to you and then you just go to work and that's that's really interesting that you said that the, the comfort piece because I don't think we think about that much as fans but you know, Indiana is a reasonably easy place to get to from Washington. Like that's an easy enough trip. Like, were there ever places where like, hey, I like this city or I like the hotel we're at. So I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Like did even little, little tiny things like that really lead into a better performance sometimes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, just your, your mindset, your mindset. I think Utah, I like playing in Utah. I like playing in Utah because of the uh, the setup of the arena. Uh, the altitude was just right. It wasn't the Denver altitude. It was just kind of, you know, just right. So I always felt good uh, playing in Utah. And then like, um, say, say a Memphis, when you're in Memphis and you go play in Memphis, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's pretty chill, just like, you know, somewhat like uh, uh, Indiana, but you stay in the hotel that's right across the street from the arena. So you're giving yourself just, just more time to just be. So, you know, you're not getting on the bus traveling, you know, back and forth, or there's not, you know, long, you know, downtime, you know, you can look out your window and you can see the place that you're going to play. So it gives you just like a little bit of comfort. Okay. When the time comes, you know, I'll be heading over there to get my work done tonight. So that was one of the, the places for me that was, was very comfortable to play. Yeah, you're not in L.A. staying by the beach and then busing into downtown L.A. and in a stressful traffic-y drive, you know, right before the game and stuff like that. For me, like anytime I have to play a sport and I'm running late to that sport or there's a hectic commute, even if you're not driving, I feel like that that weighs on you, too. Yeah. All right. So we got to get to to the fun stuff here. The the little bit of drama going around uh, sort of blew up Wizards Twitter last night. So. Kent Bazemore, and if you've never heard of him, rightfully so. He's uh, an average NBA player. I'm just gonna—I don't want to throw too much shade. Um, so uh, Bazemore said 49 points in 29 minutes. That's unreal. Talking about Steph Curry, uh, we got guys out here hurting ham- hamstrings to try to keep up. Larry, I've always said like I—I—I I, I like when guys sort of go at each other. I like when there's chippiness. 
but I just feel like you never talk about a guy, especially when like an injury is involved. That always just feels like a little uh, sort of out of line to me personally. Uh, like Beal could theoretically, like this could linger and maybe it cost him the playoffs. Like I just, I don't know that I would be joking about that specifically. Uh, if he doesn't get injured or something, I think it's fair game to be like, oh yeah, you know, Beal's chasing Steph or whatever. But as somebody who lived this, how do you feel about one, Kent's comments and two, Beal spending like two hours tweeting him and calling him out last night after the game. I'm with it all. I'm with it all. I'm with it all, man. I think what what Kent said was, you know, nothing to get your panties in a bunch for. I mean, it it really, for me, is like, he's not talking about a concussion. He's not talking about, you know, um, obviously, you know, is, is, is muscles and things of that nature, but he's not talking about, you know, you know, somebody has, has broken a hand or any broken bones. He's talking about somebody having a strained hamstring, which we all, we, I mean, we strain our hamstrings, you know, from game to game. Sometimes sure. they're, they're worse than others. But I didn't take it, you know, as anything like he's shooting a jab or he's, uh, you know, just, just completely kicking a guy when he's down. I think he said it in good nature. So I don't have any problem with what, what Ken said. I think it was, you know, probably a question that a reporter asked him about, the landscape and he talked about you know 49 and 29 and if you want to chase a guy that's going 49 and 29 some other things are going to pop off your tread if you continue to chase a guy that's going 49 and 29 minutes so I understand what he was saying with that and didn't think it was it was anything extra do you have any problem with Beal taking it personally though and and just taking some shots at him after the fact yeah, man, he's from the crib. So we we got tough, we got our skin is tougher than that. Like he, he he's from where I'm from. So I know his skin is tougher than that. Like if a, a guy makes a comment, like it was too much for me. Like I, I felt that it was he was being sensitive about the comment. I mean, completely sensitive about the comment. Um, and to go on and to all of these different tweets and ads, first of all, stop the adding and once the game is over, give that man a phone call. Okay, yeah. that's what we—that's what we're going to do first, and then we can't have our wife <laughs> jumping in because that's when it goes left. Like we—we we must keep our wives and our moms, <laughs> and for some, and to some degree, depending on how old we are, our kids, out of those sort of back and forth confrontations, because the first time that a guy says something negative or wrong in the wrong light, the wrong wind about your wife or your mother, or your kid, then that's when we have a problem. So I think that, you know, those guys had a little bit of a back and forth, didn't come up in the social media era. So, uh, you know, there's seven digits that I need and we'll have, a, we'll have a phone call. And then we have to keep our wives, moms and kids out of those sort of discussions because that's when it goes left because that's a bad, that, that's, that's bad. The, the first one from Beal was like, all right, folks, like, do you think I should go in on him? And, and I'm like, all right, this is funny. This seems good natured. And then the first tweet, like, you know, if he'd have thrown out like a who's Kent Bazemore or, you know, like what, you know, something uh, like if he'd have taken one shot back, I'm totally for it. I love the pettiness. Let's do it. I just kept refreshing. And by like the eighth tweet, I was like, all right, we, we've gone off the rails here just like a little bit that, you know, the, if someone throws a little shade at you and you want to give it back to them, 
I'm, I'm okay. Even one up them. Like I'm, I'm all for it. It's fun. It's good natured at that point. Uh, but yeah, when we're, when we're like two hours later and, and you're still a little bothered, it's like, uh, all right, man, he, he wasn't that out of line. Like, again, I, I personally probably wouldn't have made a joke about somebody and not said their name specifically, uh, if, you know, if they got hurt or whatever, but that's, like you said, he, he, he didn't, he didn't totally trash him. You know, he's not going to die. Like it's, it didn't need to be uh, a, a two hour, a two hour thing, but you know what? It gave us something to talk about. It's fun. People, you know, that maybe there's some, from few, like we were talking about having some bad blood between some teams. Uh, Bazemore maybe has a little bad blood from his Atlanta days playing the Wizards so much. So I'm okay with that. Like maybe this is a new rivalry, you know, rivalry. Let's, let's, let's see how that works, you know, next year. Yeah, I think the, the good thing about that is, is Kent actually had a good game last night. He did. He started <laughs> slow, but he had a really good second half, and you wonder if he saw the tweets at halftime or someone told him. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what gives it a, you know more energy is, is obviously you can talk about his stats, but but on the night that you know you had the confrontation, he actually had a pretty good game, so he's going to have a little bit to stand on himself you know, <laughs> regarding that night. You got to. If you, if you throw shade and people are looking at you, you can't follow it up with like a four-point game or something. Uh, that that's really funny. All right. Uh, just sort of circling back to, to closing out the season here. Uh, the Wizards play the Hawks on Wednesday, again, without Bradley Beal, the Cavaliers on Friday, potentially without Beal. And then uh, they play Charlotte on Sunday to close out the regular season. Again, Charlotte is sort of the, the eight seed right now. Another one of the teams they're trying to, to leapfrog if they can. Uh, that game has not been scheduled as of the time of this recording. It will take place sometime Sunday afternoon. So, so that'll be interesting. This Wednesday game is on ESPN. Nice to see the Wizards get a little media attention, which is, you know, something I, I think they should have gotten a little more of, especially the second half of the season here. Larry, again, I, I tried to, to make you ask you too many predictions here, but where do you think they, they end up here? Like uh, any, if you had to go eight, nine, 10 seed, and any sort of thoughts, uh, one one direction or the other? Well, I'm I'm leaning towards the, you know, the eighth or the ninth spot. That that's where I'm at right now. Brad, I don't think is obviously nobody's sure right now if he's going to actually play. So I think that does factor into, you know, their ability to win games. And these games are coming right now, you know, every other day. And obviously going to put a tax on, you know, those other guys to step up and make plays. And I think if you do get Brad back for the for the final two games, maybe possibly, uh, then obviously it gives them those guys a better chance to win. But I think that they're fine right now with, you know, with the play in situation and how it's set up. I don't think that they can get to seven. So I don't think it's a scenario where they'll have ability to win one game and they'll be in. I think, you know, if they're looking at it, the they'll probably have to win two basketball games to be in uh, when it's, when it's all said and done. So somewhere in that eighth or ninth spot is going to be where they're, you know, is, is where they fall in at. And I think they're comfortable with that. Sort of segues perfectly into one of our fan question from D's rocks on Twitter. Uh, should Beal rush back for the play in game if he's not a hundred percent healthy. So to, does the seating between eight, nine, 10 matter enough to you that you would throw Beal out there uh, before he's kind of fully ready to do that? Not necessarily. I, I think if if he's not healthy, then you have to let the chips fall where they, where they, where they may and allow him to get as healthy as he can t- with the chance that they can win two basketball games. Mm-hmm. They've shown in the second uh, half of the season that they can win, you know, games in a row and they can put 
things together uh, and then they can win basketball games. So you don't want him to rush back to say, you know, to try to capture, you know, the eighth spot. You don't mm -hmm. want him to rush back because that you're going to put him in jeopardy of either hurting something else or not being available, even if you win one game. So I think you just, I think you, you make sure that he's the best that he can be with the understanding that we have to win two games and we want you as healthy as we can for those two games. We don't want you limping through four games to, and then there's a must win two games. So I think the, the right approach is to hold him, uh, make sure he can play two games, you know, back to back, you know, no, not necessarily back to back, but two games at a high level mm -hmm. and, you know, take your chances there. Yeah, I think the level of confidence regarding risk of re-injury is probably the the biggest thing there. Like if he's going to be 80%, but you don't think he's going to make it considerably worse or, or hurt you for the playing game, then 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 maybe that's worth it to get him a little um a little action before the the playing game. Uh all right, we can kind of rapid fire through these a little bit here. Uh from Andrew uh Bassan, friend of mine, friend of the show. Uh should Daniel Gafford be playing more than the 17 minutes per game he's currently playing for the Wizards? Well, I don't know if they were showcasing him when he first got there or if somebody was a little bit banged up, but it seemed that he got more time when he first arrived. Maybe mm -hmm. those guys were trying to see what they have and maybe they didn't like something. I mean, we don't know, but you can always go to, you know, playing time. And obviously if there's a formula for winning, then you kind of stick with that formula. So they have been winning and you don't necessarily want to upset the apple cart. So, you know, just continue doing what they're doing. I think I think everybody's fine. And that sort of also segues into GG Tappin on Twitter as well. Uh, it's basically what should they do with the center rotation next year? Um, both Lopez and Len are, are going to be free agents. So obviously you have Gafford uh, locked in next year and Thomas Bryant locked in next year. Would you like to see either of Lopez or Len back next season? Um, for me, uh, that's up in the air for me. It's about the strategy of the entire team and what the, you know, what, what the vision is. I think you have Gafford, which brings that lob threat to the game. Mm -hmm. And I think with Lynn, you bring that, you know, a big guy with, you know, a little bit more fluid movement than, you know, Lopez. But Lopez is kind of like the rock and he's been pretty, really solid for this team. And I think they rely on him for that, for that stableness that, that he brings to the, to the table. So that, that's a tough one. It completely depends on, you know, the vision of the other pieces that, you know, are surrounding that center spot. And also remember, you have Thomas Bryant who will get a chance to come back next season as well. And he will be a five man. He won't be a power forward. Totally with you. I, I think it, you know, what the complimentary pieces around them look like, how much salary cap they have. Lopez made $7 million this year. Arguably he played a lot better this year than he did last year in Milwaukee. So does he get a raise potentially in the offseason? Uh, he might have played his way out of D.C. anyway. I do like the idea of having one of those guys be a bigger body for the Knights when you do have, you know, Embiid or, or Gobert or one of those guys. Because Gafford's not the biggest guy and Bryant's not sort of the the most physical defensively. So, so somebody like that um, might give them sort of a nice compliment. From 4000 Yay on Twitter, is Hutchinson, Hutchinson better... Uh, at the two spot or the three spot? And I'll amend his question a little bit. Does that even matter between those two things, Larry? No, I don't think it matters. I, I think he is a small forward. Uh, his ability to cut and slash and crash the boards, I think that fits him well. Um, the, the two spot right now is is interchangeable with the one spot, and I don't see him uh, being sort of that combo ball handler. I think he's more of an off-the-ball guy. 
So that would put him more in that, you know, small forward, you know, even power forward in this game. Yeah, I, I, some small ball four minutes. I would not actually be against that. All right, from Kamish Live on Twitter. Should Russell Westbrook be a part of the Wizards' long-term plans? Or, you know, now that he's playing really well, would would you see what his value is? Um, and, you know, he, he does have a decent amount of money left on that contract. I, I want to say two years left or one plus one, uh, you know, at close to $90 million. Would you see if there are suitors out, out there for him, Larry? I wouldn't. I think it's a conversation that you obviously need to have with Russ on. He's, you know, he's not a, not a young guy anymore. So I think that that's a conversation you definitely have with Russ, but if he's all in um, and I would definitely want to keep him in the fold and build pieces that are around, you know, Russ and Brad and, you know, those young guys that are coming back, but I wouldn't look to, to move him. I don't know what the value is right now. I think he's an aging guy still, but he brings a unique skill set to the table and, and it's not going to work for everybody or every team. So it has to be the right fit for, for Russ. Yeah. Unless you're going to find a way to somehow improve your team and collect assets and get off salary. Like, I don't know what, what, you know, you'd really gain from that at this point, just because you're never going to get like a, a total haul for him just because of the money. And, and like you said, the age. So I think I'd ride it out and and build around them and, and be more looking for, like we've talked about a lot here, sort of that veteran uh, wing to go with them. Uh, all right. Also from 4,000 yay, uh, should the Wizards re-sign Neto? And I'm, I'm going to just amend that one again a little bit here too. Uh, both Neto and Ish are, are free agents this year. I can't imagine both of them are back next year. So, so Larry, if, if you had to pick one or the two, uh, what's the better fit for this team going forward? Oh, man, I, I think, you know, just due to health reasons, I think Neto has been a little bit more productive than Ish, you know, overall. I think Ish, you know, brings a, a different sort of speed and different sort of um, from the point guard spot than Neto can. I think Neto is actually more of a almost more of a, a two guard than than a point guard. Uh, but I like what Neto brought to the table. I think he was was a tough guy, made shots, stuck his nose in there on the defensive end. A little bit bigger guy, you know, shoulder-wise than, than Ish, so had a little bit more presence on the defensive end, you know, battling down in the paint a little bit more. Uh, so I would probably say Neto, uh, just for those little small reasons. Wholeheartedly agree. I, I think uh, Scott Brooks has shown he likes to play a couple potentially smaller guards together, and, and Neto seems to make more sense next to Westbrook, in my opinion. Uh, from T. Ripley on Twitter, what's the worst case scenario for this team? And it's not overly specific, so I don't know if they mean just for the rest of the season or, or moving forward. So however you want to answer that, Larry, feel free. Uh, well, I think the worst case for them is Brad coming in after the season and asking to be, you know, to be moved to a different situation. I and mean, then that's that's just the worst case scenario. Um, no arrows point to that. But, you know, if you're talking about the Wizards and you're talking about the worst, it would be, you know, Brad not being on the team would be the worst situation. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree that that's the worst long term. I'll say shorter term just for this year. And I think I said this a few weeks ago. Uh, if I were the the Wizards pessimist of the group, I would say um, worst case scenario would be they make the 9-10 portion of the playoff game, lose that game. Uh, now you've hurt your draft stock and didn't even actually get, you know, a couple extra games out of it. So I, I think that would be kind of an unfortunate end to a year that's that's had some relatively positive momentum down the stretch. 
Larry, I was listening to an interview that uh, Kendrick Perkins did the other day, and he was sort of talking about like, or maybe it was an interview somebody else did talking about Kendrick Perkins and how he was sort of the enforcer on those Boston championship teams, obviously, that, that you got some some run playing against. Um, and that was sort of his job was to be like, hey, if you touch one of my guys, like I'm going to put you on the floor. Is that still valuable in today's NBA to have, I don't know, kind of air quote, air quotes, the enforcer. It doesn't have to be a center, but you know, like Markeith Morris was kind of the tough guy for the wizards and for a few years and had walls back or obviously Charles Oakley and and Jordan is one that comes to mind. But uh, even the Mavs went out a few years ago and got James Johnson just to sort of back up Luka Doncic to some extent, like, do you see, see value in that anymore? No, no, there's because the league, they won't allow those guys to do what they're supposed to do. Right. And that's, you know, keep the peace, keep their guys clean. Sure. Uh, the league won't allow them to do that anymore. So if you have one possession and then, you know, your enforcer steps in and, you know, make sure that everything is, is copacetic and going the right way, like he'll be kicked out of the game. So you, you won't have that presence for the rest of the game or whatever the situation is. So I think that the league is, has, you know, kind of taken that sort of rollout of, the guy that's going to set a hard screen, the guy that's going to take a hard foul. Because if you take, if you do those things, then you're going to be ejected from the game, which which completely wipes that out. In my, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. Once again, I'm uh, I'm with you there. I, I I do think it was a meaningful thing to have, you know, ten years ago. Um, but but now, like you said, how many flagrant fouls and stuff do you do you actually see on a nightly basis? I bet there's probably one per night on the NBA where like someone literally, you know, legitimately took a shot at somebody. Yeah. And though, and those common fouls, you know, that are called regular fouls because a, a hand, you know, a finger yeah. may have gotten too high and, and, you know, nick somebody across the cheek or tap somebody's chin. And that's a, an obviously grounds for a flagrant foul, even though it, it, you know, it should be a common foul. So those are the times that we're in. So I don't think that those, those players really make an impact now. I always think confidence and reps are like huge for a player in, in terms of production for, for guys like Anthony Gill, uh, Chandler Hutchison, Garrison Matthews, this yo-yoing of them from starting to not playing to getting minutes to not minutes. I mean, we've talked about the rotations a lot this year, but it just doesn't seem like they're being set up to be, successful um and and now if it's certain you know certain situations or guys are in foul trouble like i i kind of get it but if you had to roll with i don't know two of those three guys between gill hutchison and and matthews for this play in game like when it matters the most they all bring different things to the table Uh, you know who who kind of stands out to you of of maybe that group you can throw bonga in there too realistically i guess yeah no I, i really think man i really think it's a committee and I, I really think it's a committee and, and can be done the right way if there's communication mm-hmm. that's had. If the players are all in tune with the scouting report, uh, those players are in tune with how we're going to play tonight because every night is a little bit different on what sure. we're going to look for uh, against this team, against this opponent. Uh, we're going to you know, use more of the three-point shot. We're going to get the ball into the paint more. So all those things kind of factor into you know, the game plan. So like we said again, you know, from the start of this thing, is communication is huge. If you're if you're yo-yoing those guys back with no communication, just hey, sit down, you know, next to me, then those guys are going to have a problem, and you're never going to get the best out of those guys. 
But I do see, I feel like, you know, those guys come in and they play their minutes and then they go, you know, back to their spot. So maybe there is communication there, mm-hmm. but the only way that that works, especially you have four guys for two spots, is if you communicate and you allow them to understand uh, what you're trying to accomplish each and every night. And then that gives them their their comfort and obviously they're professional. So whenever it's their number, they're called, they're ready to go out and perform. But you can also have comfort with just knowing, you know, the entire game plan. And you're watching because now you say, okay, this isn't going right. It's probably going to be my turn to go in. But if you don't know what the plan is, you never know if things are going right or if you're up next or not. So I say if you got four guys for two spots, the best way to go about that is to communicate with those guys on how they best fit into those roles and and who's going to be, you know, kind of first up in, in that rotation. My gut is that for somebody like Matthews, it's harder to stay ready when you're not playing if your role is to come in and knock down shots than it is for Hutchison to come in and just be active and be a defender and and cut and things like that. Is that a fair assessment? That is. That is. But again, you got shooters that get locked in and they don't see anybody else that's in the arena. They just (laughs) focused in on the basket. So when they catch it, it's not like anything foreign to them. It's, It's what they do. So. And again, teams are playing that much defense now. So a lot of the shots that you get are your training shots or your wide open shots. So that can give you a chance to get a rhythm as well. But yeah, I think that that factors into, you know, how well guys are performing and what their expectations are. If you know a guy is a rhythm shooter and you're kind of bouncing them back and forth, the guy that's just going to be the rebound on the slash is probably going to show well because that's a different sort of rhythm. So again, it's about that communication and what your team is trying to accomplish, um, you know, on a nightly basis. And Matthews is certainly not shy about coming in and getting shots up uh, the minute the ball touches his hands, which I actually like. Uh, all right, Larry, that's all I had for you. Uh, any last things to, to close us out here or parting shots or things to look for, uh, for, for fans? No, just um, obviously the, the Wizards are, again, shout out to, to Russ for, for breaking uh, the Big O's record. Uh, that's a, a hell of an accomplishment and continue to success to put that number, you know, to the sky so no one ever, ever, ever reaches it. You know, I think that that warrants a, a great shout out and to that accomplishment. And then also on, on a personal note, uh, I lost my brother, you know, 15 years ago uh, to the date. Uh, so just want to, again, give him a heavenly shout out. You know, we're down here rocking for you uh, 15 years long, and we'll keep going until we see you again. Very cool sentiment. Uh, Larry, thank you as always, and I will uh, talk to you next week. Yes, sir. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.